Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast where we hear from mothers who are artists and creators, sharing their joys and issues around trying to be a mother and continue to make art. Regular topics include mum guilt, identity, the day-to-day juggle, mental health and how children manifest in their art. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter and a mum of two boys from regional South Australia. I have a passion for mental wellness and a background in early childhood education. You can find links to my guests and topics they discuss in the show notes, along with music played, a link to follow the podcast on Instagram and how to get in touch. All music used on the podcast is done so with permission. The Art of Being a Mum acknowledges the Bowendick people as the traditional custodians of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on and pays respects to the relationship the traditional owners have with the land and water, as well as acknowledging past, present and emerging elders. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast today, Dana Stevenson. Dana is a senior artist with the Australian Ballet and a mother of three children, including twin girls. At the age of three, Dana began her dance training with Davidia Lind in jazz, tap, ballet and singing in her hometown of Brisbane. She later trained with Mary Heath and Sandra Ashley before studying with the Queensland Dance School of Excellence in 2001, obtaining her Royal Academy of Dance solo seal. Dana joined the Australian Ballet School in 2002 In her graduating year, she was seconded to the Australian Ballet to perform in various seasons before joining the company full-time in 2005. Since that time, she's enjoyed international tours to Los Angeles, New York, the UK, Auckland, Shanghai, Tokyo and Paris. At the end of 2008, Dana was awarded the Katerks Hirai Scholarship which enabled her to gain invaluable experience training with numerous ballet companies in Europe. Dana was promoted to Corafi, a leading dancer in a corps, and went on to win the Telstra Ballet Dancer Award later that year. She was promoted to soloist in 2014 and to senior artist in 2018. In 2020, Dana took what she thought was to be her final dance with the company. At that stage, 11 weeks pregnant with her twin girls with her fiancé, Lockie Gillespie, also known as the Purple Wiggle. Today, Dana shares her story and her experience with postnatal depression and anxiety and how she used her ballet as therapy to aid in her recovery. I also indulge my own curiosity of the ballet world, so we talk a lot about ballet and music. This episode contains discussion around postnatal depression and anxiety. The music used in this episode is in the public domain and therefore not subject to copyright and is taken from the ballets of Swan Lake, Peter and the Wolf, The Nutcracker and Giselle. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Dana. Thank you so much. It's lovely to have you today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have a chat. 
Yeah, for sure. So you're a senior artist. You've obviously been dancing ballet for quite a while. Um, can you tell us how you first got started? I started dancing when I was three. So my earliest memories really are of me being a dancer. Obviously a little bit different to what I am now, but um, <laughs> I think it is quite interesting that that's kind of where memory kind of starts to form for children here and there. And so my earliest memories are of dancing. So I actually started because my sister was dancing at the time. She's two years older than me yeah. and she had started a general jazz class at the local dance school with some school friends um, because she was really shy, really, really shy, like hiding behind mum, shy. So it was a way of kind of getting her into something social and something um, to kind of bring her out a bit. Yes. And yep. it was parent watching week that week and I went with mum and I was sitting at the back and I I just started, I just stood up and started joining in the class and then they were doing cartwheels and I just was all a part of it basically. And the teacher came over to mum and said, oh, I think this little one probably wants to have a go, um, you know, come around to the Little E's class another day. And mm -hmm. I think it just started like that. And then quite quickly I started um, the Estedford team. I was there five days a week and then six days like, by that before I started school probably I more it was that more is more I just mm. danced all the time I was at school or I danced that was that was how it was yeah right so it was literally your sister got you into it which is really cool yeah. um my sister yeah. got me into singing um like formal singing like because she joined oh. and I wanted to do it too so <laughs> that's a really yeah. cool story is your sister older no, she's younger. And I think that's oh, why I wanted to do it because it was like, well, she gets to do it. I should be doing it because I'm older. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean, I think it's a little bit um, ironic because my sister started doing a jazz class and I started with that and then I started taking ballet and tap and then all the different all the different things. And my sister stuck with that one jazz class a week until maybe she was 10. She would, she would get so worked up before it and we didn't know this until she was older that she would get so sick to her stomach about going to oh. dancing because it was such a, a big deal for her to have people looking at her mm -hmm. and meanwhile um her little sister was just you know couldn't get enough of it and <laughs> interestingly Brie my sister Brie she would have done so well in ballet yeah I right. was very much theatrical one and then I found ballet to be my path a lot later whereas mm -hmm. my sister she would have actually loved ballet and she says that now I wish I'd just done ballet not jazz because that's all out there and yeah you know, a bit shoggy whereas ballet she's she actually would have loved the discipline and the mm -hmm. you know the teacher sets the exercise and you do that and it's a bit quieter <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah not not yeah. so much like like jazz hands in the spotlight kind of yeah, thing way less jazz hands. Yeah. yeah so then how did you get into the ballet side of things was it just something you were offered and and then you sort of just thought I love this so much I'm just going to go with it yeah it's quite interesting because I think as a child I and I'm sure this is the case for most children I just love dancing I didn't really obviously there were the dance styles but I didn't differentiate between what each one was. I just loved the whole thing. And then once I started doing a Steadfords and um, being on stage and the lights and the feeling of that, 
and taking on a different character. It was all one and the same. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's different elements to each sort of style, but I just loved all of it. So it wasn't until I was a teenager and every time the musicals would come to Brisbane, I'm from Brisbane, so, you know, once a yep. year when fame would come or Chicago or whatever it was, we'd go. And But also every time the Australian Ballet would come, you know, on the Saturday matinee, Mum would take me to that. And that was a big event of the year too. So it all just kind of was coinciding and I had no preference whatsoever until as a teenager you do start to need to take a bit more of a structured path if you are going to follow ballet. But my school at the time, Davidia Wynn Dance Centre, where I went when I was three, she she had never had a ballet dancer that needed more ballet training as mm-hmm. a teenager because no one had kind of got that far in their ballet exams at the time. So I actually had to find some teachers externally to help me. And then I was an interstate associate with the Australian Ballet School, which is in Melbourne, which is the school that does feed into the Australian Ballet Company. And so that meant I could come down for a week every year to do like a winter school. And when they came to Brisbane, we'd do a masterclass. But it was still just happening, bubbling along. But then the audition came to do um, for the the first level five year, which is about 15 at the Australian Ballet School. The senior school is level six, seven and eight. That's like your finishing training. But they just started a level five and that was half ballet, half school. And so I auditioned for that and was very hopeful about getting in and I didn't get in. And I was really, really disappointed. And I couldn't have said it at the time, but I think that was a really big catalyst in thinking, I obviously really want to do this. This mm. is something not happening right now. And I I think I really, I want that to be happening. So the next year I went to a school in Brisbane called the Queensland Dance School of Excellence, which was again half ballet, half school, but the, a version of that in Brisbane and auditioned again for the Australian Ballet School the next year yep. and got in the next year and then, did my three years and then got into the company. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that moment, it's like the, the level of disappointment you felt made you sort of realise, I this is how much I want this. This is, yeah. it's, it's almost like, it's not great that you didn't get in, but it's almost like you needed that to confirm it for you, to make you go, righto, I'm going to go for this really. This is what I want to do. I think so. I think so. It was, and probably a strong indication too, that I needed to probably blinkers on a little bit and, um, just focus a bit more on that. Having said that, I was lo- I loved my high school and I loved my school friends and I I think that's something, you know, I've always had. I've always kind of needed to have a balanced sort of life. Mm. I was never like a Betty Bunhead and I'm still not. <laughs> but at the same time, I think I needed to probably think, okay, well, if this is what you want to do, there's a few steps that need to be taken. And so I took those steps and worked really hard and mm-hmm. I was very lucky to get in that next time.
Mm. So then what what um, sort of direction did your career take from then after that, getting in there? Um, so the Australian Valley School is three years and then um, so your final year you start to do a lot more performing and very fortunately at the time the the company who's in the same building so it's really special at the school because you can just walk down the corridor and like put your little face at the windows and you see the company dancing and rehearsing and all your idols and yeah. like it's you know coming from Brisbane and coming down into this world it was so scary overwhelming amazing exciting just all of those things mm. um and then to 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 think and dream about getting to the other end of the corridor and getting into those company rooms one day yeah. um but yeah at the time when i was in my last year at the school the company had were doing um lots of different seasons but there was quite a few injuries so they needed some extra dances and at that time they often seconded dances from the school <laughs> to go join the company so they had a couple of us learn a particular ballet symphony in C and um then the next night I was on basically oh so, wow <laughs> yeah it was like a baptism of fire but yeah. at the same time I feel like looking back at that age you're so ready and mm -hmm. that's what you're training for and obviously that's an amazing opportunity and then that opportunity turned into a longer opportunity I danced with a company for almost all their seasons that year and so I was very lucky to have the um the staff and obviously the artistic director at the time David McAllister he could see me across a whole year almost mm -hmm. as opposed to going in one day for an audition somewhere they have no idea who you are where you've come from any of your yeah. story and you have to somehow impress someone in in a glimpse or in a half an hour class and yeah. You know, to this day, I still find that hard. When people come into cast ballets, I'm like, I don't even know what you want to see. Like, mm. and that's why by this point, you're just like, I'm me. This is what I've got. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, all right then. <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's just um, kind of the nature of the industry. It's still something that I, I find quite challenging. But like I said, at, the, at that time of, um, you know, trying to get my first job, I was very fortunate to have a long audition process and not for a second though did I think I would get a job the following year but then at the end of the year when they gave contracts out they gave two female contracts and two male contracts and I was one of the females that was yeah. lucky enough to get a job with the company then. Yeah right so then that meant you're part of that that room that you'd been sort of peeking in and looking oh, at for those years yeah. and that would yeah, have been incredible. It really is. It's, um, you know, there's so much um, looking up to in ballet. You know, you, you watch videos. Of, it's such a different world now with the internet yeah. and YouTube. But back in the day, you'd have, back in the day, but, you know, you'd have your VHS or, but and I would watch the same videos of the Australian Ballet Company every Saturday over and over, yeah. over and over. You know, you knew everything they did inside out. And then you walk down, once I moved to Melbourne, and then you walk down the corridor and you're like, oh, my God, there's that person. Oh, my God, look at them. They're right there. They're a real person. So, it's, yeah, it's. I think it's a really lovely thing. And there's some tradition, traditions in ballet that really need to move forwards. But there's certain traditions um, that are really lovely, like when you join the company. And there's a lot of respect, obviously, for the principals. And if they don't have a bar spot, 
and you're absolutely a first year, you do not take a spot at the bar. And mm. some of those things seem a bit archaic, but I also think in our our industry and our career, those people have worked to where they've got to mm. and they are who we look to and the epitome of that. Um, and I actually loved that. Yeah, it's like that level of respect that you can show someone's earned that. Like um, mm. we were talking before about being called a ballerina. That's a title that you've earned and, you know, mm. yes, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's I, I guess all dancers feel differently about that and that's a personal preference, but I don't feel that comfortable when people refer to me as a ballerina because I'm not that, in my mind, I'm, for many reasons, I'm not that. I'm a bit left of field as a ballerina, but also they're the people I look up to. They're the people who have earned that title as ballerinas of the company. Mm. Um, and I've, I've done a lot of amazing work and I'm so proud of where I'm at and the rank I've achieved is something beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. But, yeah, I... Even in like, you know, the smallest context when, you know, even like when a little girl calls me a ballerina, I'm like, oh, I'm, but I'm not quite, I'm sorry. <laughs> not that they know or care. That's yeah. yeah. But in my, inside myself, I'm like, oh, but that's, that's, that's those people. That's not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. It's, yeah. I think, like you said, there's probably a lot of things that can change, but I think there's nothing wrong with respecting people like, you like you the story that you've just outlined the amount of work that's gone in you know and there's people you know that's what they do they dedicate their entire life to their art so I think there's you know there's a time and space for like you know some traditions respect, respect. yeah yeah Just while we're talking about that, I'll just mention quickly my, I went to school with two girls who went on to become um, dancers um, mm -hmm. with different ballets. Um, I'm not sure if you know Rachel Walsh or if you've heard of Rachel Walsh. Oh, she was, yeah. Uh, oh, she's beautiful. Yeah. I, we went through school together up to, I think she left, year 10 might have been her last year in Mount Gambier and then she, she went off to, to do her thing, which she's done amazingly. Yeah. And we've been chatting a bit, yeah. so we're organising that she'll come on the show um, in the future, oh, which is lovely. really cool. Um, and another girl called, she's Lisa Robinson, and she went to Canada, I think, to do her dancing. Or she ended up in Canada. She's there now. But it was just amazing that at that time when you're, when you're teenagers, you have no idea what these girls are doing, what they're going through. You just go, oh, yeah, they're, da they're dancing, you know. Mm -hmm. But they're, like you've described, your whole world, you switched on, that's your focus, Um and everything involved in that too, like your your way you eat, I suppose, and the way you look after your body and the exercises you do and the training that you do. And here we are just, you know, teenagers worrying about, you know, what the boys are up to or, you know, it's just a whole different, different world. <laughs> like that's a, that's a really interesting point because I, I think ballet dancers have to make certain decisions much earlier. You know, it, it would, it's, it's comparable with elite athletes, but they have to make mm. quite adult, adult grown-up decisions 
about what they'd like to do, how they'd like to achieve it. But at quite a young age, I moved mm-hmm. to Melbourne when I was 16, but I know there's other kids, I'd say, yeah. who, you know, at 14, 15, and they might be in the boarding house or, you know, different different home setups. Um, and I can't comment on anyone else's experience, obviously, but you look back and you think, oh, that's that's actually a massive deal. But mm. at the time, and this is this is the sort of people we are who are who are drawn to what to, drawn to doing what with this, what we do. You have to be so driven and dedicated yeah. and focused, single-minded focus and um, determined, resilient. They're all these skills that you're building up in your teenage years, which is not often. I'd say traditionally the years you're building up those things, you're kind yeah. of giving go and, you know, um, yeah. staying open to things. And so you you did probably, there's a sense of isolation in that. I mean, mm. I had great school friends around me who they were just like Dana does ballet and that's really great. Um, I know other people have had different experiences by being so different. Obviously a lot of um, men in the company have had, lots of bullying experiences Mm. I got a little bit about how small I was and how how focused I was I guess but I had really good people around me and I have a really amazing family who's not involved in ballet at all really grounded and um, Mm -hmm. it was all a bit of a new experience for me and I felt a bit protected in that honestly but yeah it is it is a um it feels like you're a, a bit ahead in many ways at that age because you have to be but that's what prepares you for the career you're about to have Mm. and to be able to handle the pressure that you have to at really quite a young age Would you say, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I've never been in the ballet world. Is it like, I don't want to say cutthroat, but is it a hugely intense, like you talked about the um, having to audition, like is there so much pressure to keep yourself at a certain level or and you're competing with other people all the time? Or have I got that really not on the mark? No, you're, you're pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, what's probably um, a bit less expected is that it's it's a lot more nuanced than that in terms of it is cutthroat and it's competitive yeah um and in the company and i've been in the company for 18 years now which i can't believe i still feel <laughs> like i'm 16 but ballet's <laughs> a bit like that i feel like you just it keeps you a little bit young somehow some, yeah. in some way um but anyway i i do it's a really interesting competitiveness because essentially you're vying for the same roles all the time and your career is in is ideally solely in your hands and your work and the effort you're putting in and the energy and your commitment um, your training your resilience and your reliability there's so many skills that are in your control mm-hmm. but there's also a really big one which is someone else's opinion and that yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, sometimes trumps everything. And I think a good thing to remember with that, though, is that across your career, you will be on 
both sides of that. You'll be on the side where someone comes in and just thinks you're the bee's knees and then there's the times that you're on the other side of that, which is someone's not interested in you at all. Mm. And so everyone has their moments either side. And, you know, you might have a couple of bad years where you feel like nothing's going your way and trying to stay motivated in that time and internally driven and internally motivated um, is very challenging. And I think that's, again, we move into this career quite young. I was performing at 17 with the National Ballet Company, which, you know, there were younger people than that even. So yeah. I'm not especially young. But at that age, you're dealing with quite a lot of pressure and competitiveness. And, you know, I've got children and, you know, what would you want to tell your children? You're perfect as you are, you know, just go out there and do a good job, just work hard yeah. and that's the most important thing. How do you tell someone, <laughs> oh, they just don't like how you look? Yeah. Like and that's not yeah. just always, you know, obviously in ballet there's, you know, a lot of um, scope to talk about body types and body aesthetics and the, the Australian ballet is really healthy in terms of that. Um there's, we all look really different. There's lots of different heights and um, different body styles and different ways of moving, which ultimately is the most important thing. But yeah. there is a lot of versatility in our company now. Mm. But sometimes it really is. They don't like how you look yeah. or how you dance, which is the way you personally express yourself. So it's pretty yeah. heart-wrenching sometimes because they'll like how someone else does it more. And mm. Some, sometimes just thinking of it almost as clearly as that, as brutal as it is, is the best way. Because mm. It's like that's how they're doing it. I'm doing this over here. And as you get older and more experienced, and I think with life experience obviously kind of boosting you on all sides, you realise that this is all you have, is what you are and what you bring. And if it's not yeah. your turn right now, it might be your turn next month. Yeah, I, so. I'm. That is such an incredible way of looking at things. Like that, it's so pragmatic. It's just, um, and I personally, it took me a long time to get to that point with music because it's it's mm. the same thing. People like what you're doing or you, they don't, and it's you. You're putting yourself out there. Um, mm. And I got to a point. Uh, I used to do a Steadfords too for singing, and one year I just thought, why am I doing this? I'm letting one person's opinion decide how I feel about myself and I just thought I'm not doing this anymore I don't I don't want to feel like this and I just stopped doing it um and that and I can sort of like I put myself up for different awards or put things online and I feel like if it's not my turn it's someone else's turn and that's they need that right now in their life and it's become a really great way of me being able to just go oh that's good that's nice and not be worried about stuff anymore um yeah. which took a long time like I'm nearly 44 so it's like <laughs> it's a thing that you have to go through I think because no one can sit you down and say right this is how you should feel about failure um I think it's something you have to sort of work through yourself but yeah. I love that I really love that the way you've described that well yeah. I think I think experience you need experience on both sides of that coin and you know, it's another thing in the company, you join the company and we all have we all have a certain level of talent that makes us ballet dancers. And then beyond that, we all have our unique talents. And some of us, I'm a really good jumper, for example, because of how I'm built and I'm really athletic. But yep. 
my whole life, my whole career, I've wished I've looked like the other girls who are so beautiful and so elegant and just total ballerinas. And, you know, yeah. I have lots of energy and it serves me really well sometimes. And other times I fall over a lot. And by this point, I've just come to embrace it. Everyone's like, Dana's on the floor again because I try really hard, you know, yeah. and I've gone through obviously different phases with, what I felt like are my own failures or weaknesses. Yep. And of course, as a younger dancer, there is something so much about your work ethic. If I just work hard enough, I can change that. Mm. And there is merit to that about working on our weaknesses, but ultimately focusing on our strengths and amplifying them actually is so much more, I don't know, it's, you're so much more yourself if that's what you're focusing, what you're putting your attention to. I spent, mm. I, you know, my early years in the company were quite tricky and I was having battles with um, which what eventually became Hashimoto's thyroiditis, so a thyroid disease, which was yep. undiagnosed for a long time. Yeah, and right. my body changed a lot and being a professional ballet dancer and having a really, um, well, it's an autoimmune disease, but, uh, yeah, it's... It was really challenging um, and so I was finding it very hard to have confidence in anything about myself and then when it came to my dancing I was still in that mindset of oh if I could just make my legs look nicer if I you know I've got yeah. really strong feet but they're not aesthetically beautiful like a lot of the other girls like I don't know how I'm a ballet dancer really <laughs> and to be honest some other people probably say that too which I say yeah hats off to you too but um <laughs> But yeah, I just, if I could just make that better, you know, my career will be better. But ultimately it's, it's not, it's your career is going to be what it is. And they're, they're in the ballet company. There is always room for a dancer like me. And that took time and maturity to realize there is, mm -hmm. someone has to be the person jumping. Someone has to be the one moving fast. I'm yeah. a bit messy and I'm always working on my footwork and trying to clean things up. But someone has to do that. And once I felt confident in that that was something I could do, that those other girls were like, how do you do that? I was like, I don't know, I just get in the air. And they're like, oh, I'd love to be able to do that. I'm like, I'd love to be able to stand still like you do. <laughs> that once you realise there's a place, there can be a place for everyone. Mm. Um, and sometimes when it comes to casting, things swing your way and other times they don't you realize your opportunities are there you make the most of them and then when you can see maybe they're what's tricky in the company there might be a season you're not in very much or there's not a lot of work for you mm -hmm. but you never know what's coming up next and you know yeah. often we do know what's coming up but you never know what your next opportunity might be so if you drop the ball and think oh this is my this is my season where it's a bit average or mm. you know oh, i just won't bother yeah. You don't know what opportunity you might miss next because you're not ready. And that's these are the things that I have no doubt, I can say 100%, have, have created the opportunities that have actually made me and made my career, not because, yep. you know, I was built a certain way or being in the right place at the right time has, has mm. been very, very good to me. <laughs> Thank you.
Yeah, and that you're right. It's like it's unless you're unless you're ready for that opportunity when it comes. Well, actually, this person sort of slackened off a bit this year because you know they didn't get so many roles, and we can see that. So yeah. we'll go to the next person. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you've got to you've yeah. always got to be motivated and still working and which would be intensely draining like it sounds like you know it's a full-on life like you're just I mean obviously lots of people do it so it's sustainable but from my point of view someone who's not a dancer at all and not highly motivated (laughs) no it, it, it really it is and again as a young student you don't it's what you want to do it's your passion it's your drive you love it you can't imagine not doing it and you're willing to give up almost anything to do it and it's so enjoyable like yeah I love dancing I you know last night I was on stage and um my old nanny actually was watching and she hasn't seen me dance after all these years and she said oh gosh it just looks so much fun and I said to her I was like I just have a stupid amount of fun when I'm on stage and I know I've got my little kids at home and I hope they're asleep and they ate their dinner and all that and then I just had this I know it's not a guilt, like guilty pleasure, but I'm like, I just, mm-hmm. it's just so fun. Like, and I'm just lucky I still enjoy what I do so much, but it is a lifestyle. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not a job for us. And mm-hmm. I think, again, I can't speak for everyone else, but if it becomes a job, I don't think it's right anymore mm-hmm. because it is yeah. so much more than that. And you have to put so much more into it. And in terms of just your hours, you know, we work really long hours, unusual hours. We rehearse in the day. We train every, you know, day, six days a week. We have Sundays off, but we train yep. every morning. We rehearse every day. We perform at night, but we don't just go in for the show at night. We train in the morning, rehearse, yep. show. Two shows Wednesday, two shows Saturday, 200 shows yep. a year. Um, it's... Oh. Yeah, it's the Australian Ballet is one of, if not the top amount of, you know, shows per year in terms of ballet companies. Yeah, um, right. Which takes a, a certain amount of resilience and managing mm. your body and your mind over that time becomes a really important skill that you learn. It takes years to learn how to manage that. Yep. Yeah. Can I ask, sorry, we, we're really doing a lot of talking about your ballet, which is, um, don't, we'll, we will get to your family. It's okay for everyone that's, that's listening. <laughs> I'm just so honoured to be able to speak to you and I really want to squeeze everything out that I can because it's just really exciting. Um, like I said, my exposure to ballet, like with the girls that I grew up with, it was mm. it was a world that I knew nothing about. I loved it and I, st- I love watching ballet. It just blows my mind how graceful and incredible it is um so I just want to ask you lots of things <laughs> oh 
I'm, I'm more than happy. I, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of people find it quite a, you know, it is this mysterious kind of world. And I'm, yeah. I'm always wanting to encourage people to ask questions. And it's, you know, there's obviously that version of ballet people often think about in their heads and often it's a bit different to that. Or then there's the yeah. other one, which is like, oh, is it like Black Swan? And it's like, well, oh. you know, there's yeah. little bits of that that are, absolutely true I'll be the first to tell you but it's not quite like that mm -hmm. um but I think it's lovely that people are interested in in what we do it's always a lovely thing awesome well that's good you can indulge me a bit longer then <laughs> absolutely um all right so I'd like to ask you what your favorite roles have been that you've played and why oh tricky <laughs> and I didn't even I didn't even give you a heads up I was going to ask you this <laughs> sorry no no that's that's good. I like being on the spot. Um, oh, that's really tricky because I'm, I mean, I've been so lucky, fortunate to mm -hmm. have had such a wide range of roles and opportunities. Um, yeah. And across, you know, the Australian Ballet does a lot of strict classical ballet performances, you know, your Swan Lakes, your Nutcrackers, Giselle's. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of your structured classical ballet, Sleeping Beauty. Um, and then we do a lot of contemporary modern work. Um, and usually the year it's kind of somewhat, the balance has come somewhat split. Mm -hmm. And I have had opportunities in kind of both sections of those um, repertoire groups. And it's kind of like when I was younger, when people said, oh, did you like jazz or ballet? I'm like, I just liked it all. Yeah, It's the same thing in what I do now. I just love it all. There's not one that's better than the other. And even as I get older, often people lean one way or the other. And I just, I just love it all because I love dancing and yeah. they all bring different challenges. I will say though, um, often certain roles at certain times in your career do seem to feel like they mean even more. Um, the, one of my favorite, like all time classical roles was Giselle. And I was very lucky I, I was able to dance the title role of Giselle, um, which I would never normally be cast in because there's so many other girls who are so beautiful at it. Um, and that's just the nature of it sometimes. You don't yeah. get it, you know, you might get a go of all of them. Those girls weren't so good. But yeah. they're, so you, you have to take your turn. Um, but also, you know, stylistically, you know, some people might not cast me in that role, but it came up, it came about because it was the regional tour of the Australian Ballet Goes Out and that year. And I had my son Jasper a few months earlier yep. and I was talking with David McAllister, my director at the time, about coming back. And the, the main company were actually going to London on tour then. And I was like, not up for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, actually, there's this really great opportunity, if you would like, um, the regional tour is taking out Giselle. And I think you'd make a really lovely Giselle. Would you like to do it? And this is like the holy grail of ballet. <laughs> and I was like, um, like, how can anyone say no? Like, are you serious? <laughs> like, this is like coming back after maternity leave, you know, talk about like not um, working your way up. It's like, mm. it's the most incredible ballet role it's the romantic ballet period so it's not 
you know, it's your long kind of soft tutus, mm-hmm. not your you know, sticky outy tutus. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a beautiful ballet about this young peasant girl who falls in love and then um, she realises that he's actually a royal and he's engaged to someone else and she has a weak heart anyway and her she basically can't you know goes into such a state and her heart gives way and she she dies and then the second act is the ethereal otherworldly um spirit world and so she is one of the willies they're called and Mm -hmm. this beautiful quarter ballet scene that's the big group of the company create this amazing atmosphere they're like ghosts and so albrecht who was the man she fell in love with, comes to find her grave and her spirit. And she basically saves him because um, the queen, Myrta, queen of the willies, so queen of all of these, you know, these girls who were jilted before their wedding days, um, they dance the men to death. Anyone who dares enters the forest, you know, after dark. And Giselle, with all her compassion and forgiveness, dances until sunrise with Albrecht, this love of hers to save him. And, you know, it's a role that is so intricate in terms of its dancing, but more than anything, just the story is so, so beautiful to tell Mm. and you can really make your own mark on it. Mm. And to come back after having a baby at that point, that role was so, so perfect and cathartic for me to dive into. Um, because there was just a whole new level of me that was able to have that absolute 100% all in love, compassion, forgiveness. I'll do anything for, you know, that Mm. you have after you have a child that's just, you know, you don't even know how it comes out, but it's, it's just a part of you. And I had this beautiful art form, this beautiful music, this atmosphere and to just, you know, pour that all into. So the timing of yeah. that role, that role in itself is is a gift to any ballet dancer or ballerina. Yeah. It's a real ballerina role. And, you know, I haven't had a lot of those ballerina moments. I could say that might have been my one. <laughs> but it was the timing of that particularly that was so special in every single show. Mm-hmm. It's not about, you know, if you got all your fifth positions or if your turns were perfect. It's about, you know, your connection with your partner, the atmosphere you create. And and every show I walked away just so happy and proud and so touched and humbled by being able to do that at that time. Mm. You know, and I was like yeah. pumping, you know, before the show. Yep. And, you know, or I was bathing Jasper and then would rush to the theatre and go into this other world. But that mm. whole time did have this really special magic. Listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. You've actually answered a question that I was going to ask you later about because there's so much acting involved in your dancing. I think I don't think a lot of people realise that, that that's such a massive part of what you do. The way that you'd approach a role changed after you became a mum and you've just answered that without me even asking it. It's just, yeah, I love it. I really think... Um... 
again, that's a craft that you you have to learn across your years. You know, you come to as a young dancer and you're you're dancing, and you know you might do a bit of like acting in terms of the ballets you're putting on as students, but that is a craft that you you learn. And you know, I've been so fortunate that I've grown up in the company watching these incredible ballerinas, and several of them were became mothers while they were still dancing, and I could see that transformation. Mm. Don't know how you, well they've had babies, but just yeah. the depth that the expression, the naturalness, the freedom—like there's so many things that come out of that. But you know, you sit there and you watch, you know, all those full rehearsals, the whole company in a room, running all these big ballets, mm-hmm. and you you watch over the years how people do those things, and when you get a chance to be able to, which I had at that point in time to put all of that into a role. That was, yeah, such a magical time. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously then there's ballets that don't have a story. And so in terms of, you know, you're not acting per se, but you might, you know, there's obviously always a vision in your mind that you're thinking of or, mm-hmm. you know, a vision the choreographer wants you to create um, or an energy or a feeling or something in those kind of contemporary works. And, mm-hmm. you know, conversely, that's what I also enjoy about the contemporary repertoire that we, you know, we perform is yeah. those um, kind of really physical, the expression is the physicality yeah. and the physica- physicality almost has a persona and you have a persona when you're, you're dancing that even if there's not a story. Yeah, that's you, emb- you embody those emotions or whatever the... Yeah you're trying to get out yeah yeah and often you know obviously ballet for me anyway the music is it's the marriage of the ballet and the music it's yeah um, that's when it comes together it's that alchemy that's um that's what's you know goes across that you know the footlights Mm. that's what the audience takes on that's their experience is that you know alchemy that's happening in front of them and that can be equally as powerful in a contemporary work, I was very lucky. I, um, when um, a choreographer called Wayne McGregor came out from the UK, he's a you know very, very renowned choreographer, and at the time he just started as a resident choreographer at the Royal Ballet. Um, so he was a contemporary choreographer, and then he he started to move into the ballet space a bit. And then not long after, lots of ballet companies across the world were grabbing him to like get a work by Wayne. Yeah, and we we were quite early in the piece, really, at that sort of time, we're able to somehow nab him and he created a work called Dyad 1929 here. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a time he came into the room to obviously cast the ballet, we were in class, and I was quite young at the time, or maybe 24 or something. And and I knew his work. I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to be in it. But, you know, like, how, how do you get in it? Like, yeah. you're standing there doing and you're like what can you see in my tondu that's not very good because I'm not very good at them still that might show you that I so want to be in your work (laughs) Um, anyway really you know often ballets are cast from the hierarchy so from the top of the company down I was still in the quarter ballet at the time which is you know the big ensemble down the bottom Um, but not everyone casts like that he came in and he looked at the whole company as a whole and it didn't matter where you were yeah I think um, anyway, very fortunately got cast in his ballet. And then that ballet across my time, you know, that was such a, you know, working with him at that time was like groundbreaking for all of us. We'd never worked with someone like this. He's so fast. He's so smart. He's, um, 
he does a lot of, um, you know, work with brain science and how he puts that into, you know, ballet and art. A lot of people wouldn't even understand, but for yeah. him, like, that's how he creates it. You watch his brain work and you think, wow, I just, like, you just see all the neurons firing. Yeah. It was a really exciting time. It felt very like we were in the moment cutting edge and I I was very fortunate to learn a spot in that and so I was performing that. And then across my career, every time we've done that ballet, I've then moved on to a different spot. Yeah, right. So I've done um, four different spots in that ballet. You know, we took it to New York and, it, you know, I did a different spot in that and um, so I've kind of grown up in that ballet. So that's one of my favourite contemporary pieces because yeah, that's... Right been my journey as well in terms of um, I stepped up into you know different roles and then my last show before I had my twin girls actually was in that ballet yeah. in um, in a white leotard which is absolutely <laughs> what you want to be in when you're pregnant with twins at 11 weeks it's oh. <laughs> there's actually a thing a saying in the ballet amongst the ballet mums that you just you cannot time it any better but you are usually in your you know early you know first trimester dancing if you're pregnant you have to be in a flesh leotard <laughs> or a white leotard because it always happens like that always <laughs> not in like a big frou-frou dress or like something covering it. it's just always <laughs> happens to fall in the most exposing of all so yeah but at the same time that I knew that those were my last shows and I actually thought they were my last shows ever um and so to for it to be in that work that particular work was really special to me and I've done lots of contemporary works and they're all fantastic too and they could so easily be my favorites yeah but the timing again and what that whole ballet and journey meant um that yeah that's a really special that's one a special one yeah And yet I don't want to talk too much more about your ballet. I do want to, but I'm going to make myself stop. Um, but you mentioned the music and it's like, I absolutely, that is, I don't want to say it's my favourite part of ballet because, of course, the dancing is pretty awesome. But the, like you said, the way that it, it it's all wrapped up together and the costuming and everything. And my favourite bit ever was in Swan Lake when, because, you know, you've got that theme that da, 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 da. I don't know what any of this is called, so just go with me here. When it turns, when it changes at the end and it goes from being in a, um, a minor key to a major key and it's just, yeah. it gives you goosebumps. It's like yeah. it just ta- it tells you the story through the music. They don't even have to tell you what's happened to this character, this transformation. It's like you just hear it in the music and it's just that moment. Every time I hear it, I just go, oh, it's just amazing. <laughs> and to be like, you could just imagine how you, how could you contain yourself when you're actually on stage doing that? Like I always think like you could just be like enveloped in it. You just, your whole body and your senses would just be like charged. It'd be amazing. It is. It's, it's such a full body experience, I think, and we are so used to that and yep. so addicted to that. And <laughs> It's an incredible feeling, you know, and some of the, the the scores we dance to, and, you know, some scores, you know, like the, the big Tchaikovsky's or, you know, it's 
you've heard them over and over and over. You've rehearsed them over and, and it's like, stop, go back, eight count, stop, go back. You know, you've heard them cut up many times and mm-hmm. you're often counting certain things. You know, the ballet we're dancing at the moment is Anna Karenina and the score was made for this particular production. So it, it also marries so perfectly. Yeah. And, there are, you know, it's a really tragic story, obviously. Um, and there's some absolutely just heartbreaking musical moments that are just matched so beautifully with what's happening on stage yeah. that, you know, we've seen it so many times and it's still, it gives me goosebumps and it still feels like, oh, this is just like so, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's, yeah, mm. it's such a privilege, you know, yeah. to to watch people in that moment or to be in that moment. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, I'd It's beautiful. I love it. talk about your children you've mentioned them briefly in passing tell us a little bit more about your family the baby um (laughs) I have three children which still doesn't seem real when I say that (laughs) when people say that to me I'm like do I I do I do I know (laughs) just make sure I I don't mean to discount the you know massiveness of that and I'm I'm so fortunate to have been lucky enough to have three beautiful children um but I do still feel quite, um, I don't know, I guess each day I'm just like treading water. So sometimes I don't stop to like acknowledge. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yes, I've got, I've got three beautiful children. Um, Jasper, my son, is six. Um, and he has grown up around the ballet, which is a really unique, you know, he hasn't been here every, every second, but he's mm-hmm. grown up around it and um, he's toured with me and, I went back to dancing after I had him dancing Giselle in that regional tour when mm-hmm. I, he was nine months old. Um, so he came out on the road with me and my mum. And my yeah. mum has been like the biggest support, saviour, everything to me for my mm-hmm. whole career. I mean, she was the one who took me to every dance class and she's not a ballet mum at all. She doesn't know one step from the other, but she yeah. has just been there for me in every moment. Um, and so he's been very lucky to travel a little bit with me too, but um, he has a real appreciation for it. Um, but, yes, I have twin girls, Lulu and Lottie, who are 18 months old now or a few days home. Yeah. Um, so they're little, <laughs> very cheeky, very funny little toddlers at the moment. We're in that sweet stage before the <laughs> start. Um, but yes, I was, there's no twins in our family and, um, that came as a bit of a shock. Yeah. right. Um, and, you know, I, this is something I think this is another part of the ballet world that, you know, I don't think is really, um, 
I guess, thought about, talked about, you know, obviously a, a woman's um, choice to have children when she has them, how that works with her career is a very, very personal choice and I, I absolutely respect that people don't talk about it. But I think it's really interesting and it's probably very similar for elite athletes, but, again, I can just talk about the ballet experience. Yeah. Um, you know, artistically, you were finally, after so many years of training, learning the craft, performing, you know, working, just mm. optimising, you get to your 30s, artistically, you're finally coming into your straps. You're not even there yet, probably. You're just coming into your straps. Yeah. You're coming into that zone where it all starts to be cohesive and make sense. And you can feel that. You can trust yourself. You can go for it. And that's also the years where you need to start about a family and if you'd like to have one, how that might work. Mm. Um, and I think that is quite a battle for the dancers in that kind of part of their career because how can you how could you possibly choose to stop yeah. and then there's always thinking oh what's it going to be like on the other side I'll lose a year I've got really good you know flow I've got you know you might be in a really good trajectory you know mm. not just a ranking sort of thing but just like with the roles you're getting the impetus the momentum you're building your reputation but just like how you feel in yourself and then yep. to think, oh, I'm just going to stop that now and just take firstly nine months to have a baby. And I'm talking very pragmatically here. I, I know this is obviously, you know, there's a whole lot more to it. But I'm just like to say, okay, nine months for that and then getting back into, into it, how will that work? Who's my, where's the support system? How would it work? Mm. It's, I think it's a really daunting prospect and, um, you know, there's always like, oh, but there's that ballet coming up next year. I've always wanted to do that. We can't dance till we're 60. It's not a career mm. that lasts forever. So you, I feel like you enter, I was lucky. I had Jasper when I was 30 and I was ready then. I was <laughs> ready to stop. I was ready for it to not be about me. And I left it quite open in that sense. But, um, yeah, I just think and... You know, that's, you know, on the flip side, it's such a beautiful thing that becoming a mum only makes your ballet career so much richer and mm. so much more beautiful and, you know, you can't know that beforehand. You see that in other people. But yeah, yeah. Also then, you know, not that long after you might be thinking about retirement. I just think there's like this even like five-year window that's hyper-pressure about what choices you're making, when you're making them. Mm-hmm. Is now a good time? If I'm if I step away now to do this, all those other girls are going to get my impetus, and then when I come back, where's my place? Mm. It's um, you know, but fortunately, I feel like when I chose to have my children, and when I when I chose to have you know to say okay, I think I think I'm happy with what I've achieved here now, and I'd like to look at having another child in this case too. That um, <laughs> I, I, was, I was happy with what I'd achieved and it was too important for me. It wasn't about what ballet was coming up. Um, it was, yep. it wasn't about that. It was, I would love the opportunity to have a child, another child. And um, obviously with Lockie too. And so that trumped everything. And very, yeah. very fortunately, we were lucky to have our two beautiful girls. 
Um, yeah. And, yeah, and we're a family of five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. So when you when you did have Jasper, did you think that was the end and you were happy with that? Or were you still thinking, I can come back, I'm, you know, I've got the support of my mum, I can, I can do this? Um, I could I was very lucky that I'd seen women in the company go before me, and quite a lot of them, honestly, because David McAllister, the director at the time, really pioneered the maternity leave and process of the Australian Ballet, which is, again, a front runner of worldwide standards. Yeah. Um, so I could see that it was possible. I was encouraged by that. Um, again, they were the ballerinas of the company. I was a soloist at the time. So I wasn't on the same level as them. But also, like, and I, by level, I also mean as a principal dancer, as a principal artist, you are mostly not dancing every night in a show because you have your two or three shows a week. Mm-hmm. This is not every week. Like, let's just, like, things change. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. seasons, they're on all the time. But generally speaking, they have their specific shows and, you know, perhaps a bit more say in what they're doing and their timings. When you're junior in the company, you you don't, you're in the bigger scenes. So you're there rehearsing yep. in these bigger scenes every day that need more time. You're not just rehearsing you and your partner. Oh, can we do that at one today? Because I've got to go. Or mm, you're, you're yeah. kind of at the mercy of the group. Yeah. And then you're at the mercy of all the shows. So it's not about, oh, I'll, I'll be in the theatre like three nights a week. It's like, I'll be there six nights a week, like every week. So um, I, I had worked to a point where I'd got, I was really happy with what I'd achieved. And again, at that point, I had a very clear um, mind that having a child was the most important thing. And if that was it, I was very open-ended. You know, if something, if he was, you know, sick as a baby or if I didn't feel like it um, felt right for me anymore, I would have stopped dancing. I just left it quite open. So a few months after he was born, I started doing some Pilates. And I thought, no, I've still got it in me. And... Mm -hmm. Um, even though we don't have family in Melbourne, I was mum was able to tour with me, so I gave it a go. And then yep. after, when I knew I was pregnant with the girls, I um, I then knew, like at that first scan appointment, when I saw there was two, and I gasped, <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor smiled, uh. and Lottie started crying. Oh. <laughs> I'll never forget that moment. It was just, it was such a, yeah, indescribable, like so many feelings. Yeah. Um, not instantly, but I thought, you know what? I think this is life telling me that this is probably time. It's time to enjoy the bit you've got left. And I was just hoping to get to that particular season that I was talking about previously to get to do that ballet Mm-hmm. Diet 1929. Yep. Because I thought that was a beautiful full circle. I was really sick and tired, like really sick with the yeah. girls being pregnant with them. So yeah. I didn't know if I'd actually be able to make it to that point, but I just tried 
just gave myself each day at a time and I was able to get to do those shows before COVID shut us down anyway. Yep. So I was able to do those shows um, and then and thought they were my last show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to ask, you've, you've mentioned feeling sick with the girls. What's it like being, like, dancing when you are pregnant? Like, are the, do the does the company sort of make allowances? Do they do you have like special things that you're not allowed to do? Like, but how does it sort of work? Yeah, well, it, it is quite different for everyone. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, you're not able to sit at your desk and hide away a bit and, you know, discreetly go to the bathroom if you're feeling a bit nauseous. And yeah. it's, it's I, look, it's a very vulnerable time for any woman and I, it doesn't matter how many times you've been pregnant, what the circumstances are. I think every woman feels very vulnerable until you feel like the pregnancy is safely on its way. So I think that's really tricky to balance with the fact that it's a very public public um, profession. You're mm. in a leotard, people can look at you and um, you're not feeling great you sense that other people can tell that there's still many, many weeks to go before you're in the clear or you feel mm. comfortable to tell your boss or other dancers. Yeah. So it's actually a really yucky time, irrespective of your title. It's a very, it feels mm. really confronting. And um, both pregnancies I've felt really, um, yeah, not, I don't enjoy that, you know, it's um my first pregnancy with Jasper. I sprained my ankles at, ankle at seven weeks, and I think that was just a blessing because I wasn't coping. Not was, oh maybe nine weeks, and I wasn't coping with just like feeling like it was so obvious. But you've got a long time to go. You've got to pretend mm-hmm. you're still um, able to do everything. Obviously, at any point you can you can speak to staff, and they'll absolutely you know just keep like keep that in mind. And mm, yeah, obviously that that level of duty of care is absolutely there but you know as as a woman you don't feel comfortable just you know saying I'm eight weeks pregnant you know there's still four or five weeks to go before I really feel okay about this Um, but yes it it can affect the repertoire you're doing and um, obviously different partner and different lifts and things some some girls tell the partner they're dancing with and some don't because they don't want the partner to freak out that they're gonna you know do something wrong and you're guided by you, you know your health your healthcare professionals and I had um a lovely obstetrician for the girls who said to me when he said okay let's talk about twins and I just said I surely can't do anything that I'm meant to be doing and he said no no you're and obviously this is not medical advice this is just what he said to me in my circumstance he said mm-hmm. no no yeah. I just you just do what you're doing that's your life normally just keep doing mm-hmm. that I want you to do that yeah. He gave me, you know, some options for the sickness. But other than that, he was just said, you keep doing that. Um, and I told David at the time when I was 10 weeks pregnant, I was so close to getting to the shows, but I just had to yeah. say to him, and he was so excited. Oh, <laughs> like, they, they love it. They're so excited. Yeah. Um, certainly, I'm sure in many years, not that long ago gone by, it was not at all a comfortable conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, that's something in itself. I always felt like this was exciting news to share. It wasn't like, oh, well, that's that's going to be a shame or why did you choose now? Like you're just doing so well. There's none of that mm-hmm. in my experience. Yeah. And so there shouldn't be, but I'm sure in years gone by it was seen as a you're not as dedicated because you've chosen to do this. Mm. Yeah, um, absolutely. And there probably wouldn't be the option to come back because 
people would judge Absolutely. you on that and go, well, they've chosen that, so no. You're not coming back. Yeah, no, that, yeah. I think traditionally, absolutely. And David was very clear about making that culture, you know, a huge, a huge change in that, that it was mm-hmm. only supportive. And you don't want to be losing all your top women just because they, they realise they don't want to miss out on something that has a finite time. Mm. Our career has a finite time. And so does, you know, the years where you are able to have your children and care for them and deal with you know their early years that's what's so mm. tricky our job is so demanding to um what we often feel as ballet moms feel at odds with is that you know those early childhood years are so intense also and you don't want to miss lots of it mm. and you you want to be forming that bond and that connection but also your career there they are your best years and the kind of end years so it's like yeah. a really tricky um and you just find your way and they do complement each other but yeah it's a big yeah. I think it is a big decision to kind of be confident enough if you do want to keep, continue dancing just to put a pause button mm. and say this is really important that I have a family as well and then I'm going to come back and um I'm still going to be able to do what I can do yeah absolutely When you found out you're having twins and you mentioned all those emotions, did you think, how's my body going to, I mean, I suppose at that point you weren't thinking of coming back necessarily, but did you think, how's my body going to go then after all the changes it's going to go through having two at one time? Will I, will I be able to dance the same way or, you know, how will my body come back from that with its, you know, flexibility or that, that kind of stuff? Did you, did that sort of, was that something you were thinking about? Uh, I guess because I wasn't thinking about coming back. And again, I'll just like the timing of it, literally COVID had just hit Australia mm-hmm. a few days before that last season I did opened. And we only were able to perform uh, three shows, a Friday and two oh, Saturday. And then yeah. everything was closed. That was when everything shut down. Yeah. Um, and the Australian Ballet only recently performed in Melbourne this last week since then. So I oh, jeez. <laughs> which everyone thinks is actually some kind of miracle that in two years <laughs> I was able to grow two babies, you know, give birth to them, care for them, and then come back and, you know, oh, it's the opening of Anna Karenina that was meant to open two years ago and here you are. <laughs> um, but I guess, yeah, my mindset wasn't on the, on anything in regards to ballet. Yep. When I was, I wasn't absolutely dead set against coming back but I just in my mind I was leaning towards that um and I've never actually you know really thought too hard about that kind of physical change um in terms of my career in with you know with pregnancy I did you know I was pretty concerned about having a twin pregnancy generally it's it is a high risk and Mm. you know we had our own complications along the way and so nothing's taken for granted and I think that perspective is enough to be like you know if you if you can't get your leg up high anymore it's really it's really not important yeah yeah babies aren't well and so um 
I was just amazed my body could handle a twin pregnancy generally um, because I'm not, there's not a lot of room. Amazingly, they make room, but I was pretty, <laughs> pretty uncomfortable at the end. And, yeah. But it's also like I, a lot of people think somehow being a ballet dancer must help you in birth or something. And perhaps it does, but I think more than anything, it's just that you've been so strong your whole life that yeah. on the flip side, your recovery is probably a bit a bit easier even from a twin pregnancy than yeah. um, maybe someone who hasn't been as active and just so aware of, you know, muscles and um, how things feel. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of ballet dancers, though, if they do go back, they try to go back really quickly to dancing and it, it they miss it. Like I think physically they miss it and they miss feeling like that and they have, you know, a really clear vision and for whatever other reasons which are their own, they want to dance so quickly again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't have that. That's just not part of me. But also after the twins, I mean, I wasn't sleeping until they were like 10 months old properly. Mm, so I don't yeah. know where, where in that I was meant to be, not meant to be. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no room in that to be thinking about doing ballet. I, if there was ever 10 minutes, I would try to lie on the couch. You know, I wasn't like, oh, just do some exercise. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't even in your headspace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I want to bring up. Um, I've had my own experiences with postnatal depression, so I can relate to a lot of stories that my guests share. Um, And you've been really vocal about your journey. And I want to commend you for that, because I think it's so important that we talk about it so that it becomes like a normalization of this is this is something that happens to a lot of people. Um, And it's not something to, you know, be scared of or hide away from. We've got to talk about it. So everyone can sort of help each other and, and, and ways to get through it. Um, if you're comfortable sharing, would, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I agree. It's, it's a topic that I believe should be spoken about more. You know, I can also understand you don't want to put that onto new mums in that, oh, you know, it can be this hard and it can be so bad and, you know, mm. when they're going through such a transformative experience and some people are not affected in that way. So you don't want to be putting that experience onto everyone. But by the same token, there are so many women who are really battling with something that is out of their control and it's mm-hmm. meant to be the happiest time of your life. And it isn't. You feel quite unhappy, really. And on top of that, you're so sleep deprived and so unable, what feels like so unable to cope. And then the guilt of not feeling like it's the happiest time of your life. There's so many levels of that. And the layers just kind of keep building each day. And it, it is, it's this, it's this kind of beast. And I can see, you know, externally now that why you feel like you can't say anything. And I felt that like that at the time. And I have such amazing support and you know Lockie is is my greatest support in every way 
and you know I I had to some some days I had to feel find the bravery somewhere in myself to actually say how it was mm-hmm. um, because it felt like such a big thing to put on to someone else who's already supporting you you know and if that's your mom or if that's anyone but just to be like it's actually really bad you know these are actually the thoughts I'm having and I don't mean to be dramatic because it actually is that bad, mm. you know. And my, my postnatal depression and anxiety kind of set in quite quickly. And, you know, I know everyone has a different experience and, yeah, I'll, I guess I'll just share mine. But yeah, yeah, um, twins is quite a shock and I was so euphoric. I had this amazing, beautiful birth with them and, um, yeah, I had natural deliveries and they were, you know, we were, they were almost full term and they were healthy and after a really long pregnancy of worrying like mm. the relief of that and I couldn't believe my body could do that and I was like this is great and you know they were feeding well and I was managing to feed them somehow dub tandem feed them which is just somehow managed to do that <laughs> and you know so you know that first bit that first week or so and you're like wow I made two babies and it's um yeah, I was. I actually did feel that pride and that you know, we were ecstatic. Um, and then you know, it, the actual care of twins and obviously uh, multiple births, you actually are just statistically at a higher risk of postnatal depression because it's just hard. Yeah. And I was very lucky. I had people around me who said it like that, you know, and um, I had a really great obstetrician in Brisbane where we had the girls eventually. I remember the six-week appointment, we had it, I had it at four weeks because we had to go back to Sydney at that time so Lockie could go back to work. And um, we had it a bit early, so it was even earlier than, you know. And I walked in and he, he was like, how are you going? And I said, like, death warmed up. And we'd had, a, you know, a terrible night, 20 minutes sleep the Ooh. whole night. I was feeding them at that point trying to establish is it is two better at once is one everyone says put them on a schedule schedule put them mm. on a schedule and for someone who's had a schedule my whole life like i i would take to that like a duck to water but these babies still didn't know that <laughs> you know i was willing to do it and i still feel like there is a part of me that you know was was perhaps given twins for a reason because i can stick i'm determined <laughs> i will make them do the same things at once but not at that stage, they, you know, and they're so, you know, their tummies are so little and all of the, you know, you're up padding and tap, you know, mm-hmm. do they need more and all of that, but times two. And so after even just four weeks of that and no sleep mm-hmm. and I was feeding them, so that's exhausting, obviously. And it really came on like a, you know, like a freight truck, even by that point. Um, and then we moved back to Sydney and I met a really wonderful, very, just by chance, my maternal child health nurse there was incredible and a really important person in my journey because straight away, even though she'd never met me and I told her our, our story and, you know, my, I hadn't seen my son Jasper who was in Melbourne with his dad yeah. and he'd been there for 10 weeks and because the borders were closed with COVID, oh, I hadn't course, seen yeah. him in 10 weeks. Yeah. And she's like, right, so you're here you had the girls in Brisbane because you had to fly up, um, go up, drive up there, do hotel quarantine because of the risk. There was a risky birth situation. Anyway, 
so we had family support. So you had to leave your son in Melbourne, you're here in Sydney, <laughs> you've been around a bit, you've just had twins, mm. you're feeding them. And she's just like, this is, this is a lot. And she's like, and you're, you're not around your friends, like, and, you know, my work friends are my family. You, you're not around your usual, usual people. You're at a really high risk here. And, and I was like, really? Oh, no, I'll be right. And she, and she, she was like, no, 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 we're, we're going to look at this and I'm going to tell you, like, in a really great pragmatic way, which someone mm -hmm. who's so sleep deprived and emotionally drained needs to sometimes hear it so bluntly. Mm -hmm. And she's like, it's, you know, twins, it's about twin management. And, you know, I was like, but I'm meant to be like loving them and like caring and like looking at their toenails. And I'm like, I don't even know what their toes look like. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that feeling of like how much you're adoring them and like staring at them. And with twins, you, you feel like in hindsight, I can see you're getting, you're trying to get to know two people at once. So you're getting double the input, like feedback. Mm -hmm but you can't process. So I felt like it took me so much longer to know which one liked what and which one um, needed and to feel equally as close and in connection with and in tune with both. Cause mm -hmm. it was just like, um, kind of like not a production line, but it just, yeah, it's like just all routine. Yeah. 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 It was. And, and that was to our, to get to a point that it was to our benefit so that you weren't up, all day and all night with one baby at a time mm -hmm. so it was all working towards that but to make that happen is is like hard work like effort like one's mm -hmm. up okay get the other one up okay feed that one's going down put the other one down like it's it's mm -hmm. not just go with the flow and i thought being a second pregnancy second baby i'd love to be that like go with the flow parent which ultimately probably doesn't suit my personality but to just be more relaxed and to know it all passes Mm -hmm. and to know you get through it and but it was it was such a different experience so how could I and I I really needed so much support and I'm just to this day every day so grateful I had access to support I you know it makes me so sad to know that there's women out there who just don't have that support mm -hmm. or someone saying you need I'm going to funnel you into a system and you're going to go to that mother baby unit or you're going to have this appointment or we're going to squeeze you into a telehealth to talk mm -hmm. to someone because right now that's crucial. It's not just like, oh, you know, four weeks time will do. It's like yeah. right now this needs to happen. And um, very, very fortunately with twins in those sorts of areas, you do sometimes get a little bit of a, you, know, you get the priority. It's like we know this you know, is which, this is yeah, this has which, to happen. <laughs> yeah, which I you know I was really grateful for. checking on me and um I felt so incapable and just you know yeah just so out of my depth and you know I was just like I think back and it, it is and every twin mum says this but it's like it's like a dream like and not always a good one <laughs> but you know it is it's like and I 
with my son, he came up to see us and I, you know, hadn't seen him in so long, which was just so hard in itself. And he was meeting his new sisters and he had so much energy and I had so little to give him. And it's just, you know, there was always a baby that needed something. And, you know, he's mm. been so patient and had to adjust, but it took me a long time, especially with how I was feeling and how low I was feeling and so anxious. You know, even when I got to sleep, I couldn't sleep. Um, yeah. I didn't know again until I'd spoken to my nurse um, and to um, the psychologist I eventually spoke to that I, that, that, feeling of rage or like anger but mostly that that rage that like volcanoes up inside you and you just need like a you know the pressure valve just needs to release is is a real real sign of anxiety you just think oh, I'm just a horrible person and I'm just so mean to everyone and I'm so angry and it's not fair and why am I so awful <laughs> and yeah and is like no it's the pressure release of you're so anxious and I think in my career I'm so used to dealing with pressure and even if you're anxious you're able to deal with it <laughs> either squash it compartmentalize it do something with it yeah. but I I didn't have an outlet I didn't have time you know anyone talks about mums having time for themselves it's like that was a joke when was mm. like and and understandably it's just not it's also not a fact when you have young twins and leaving the house and people would talk to me at the cafe and I just, I wouldn't even know how to talk. Like I just, I just looked down, please don't talk to me, please don't talk yeah. to me. And, oh, lovely, have more and just like so, and and you feel, and it's another point where you're just like, I just don't feel that. Mm-hmm. Like they're so beautiful and I know I love them, but my experience is just like, I can't get through this. I'm, I'm just floundering. And that mm. mismatch between what? what people expect or think is another layer of like, oh, see, like I should be. And if I could just, it's like what I said earlier about that, if I could just work harder, if I could just Mm -hmm. think differently, I'm sure I could turn this around. But really I needed a lot of help and support and in time sleep. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I needed an iron infusion. I needed, you know, there was a whole plan that I was very lucky multiple people you know and I had an incredibly supportive partner who sat there and looked me in the face and you know held me when I said awful things and you know really was like I don't like having to say this but if I get this out it has less power Mm -hmm. and then we could kind of like move through it and so over time and I noticed too this is something that it feels like too much to be like, I need an hour to do my telehealth with my psychologist, you know, especially with a young family and Jasper was at school and there was always a reason I could have just cancelled that. Mm-hmm. I was lucky to get into a psychologist um, with the Gidget Foundation in Sydney. Um, and so that really worked, especially not having to go out of the house. If I had to go to an appointment, I probably wouldn't have prioritised it again. Mm. I was lucky yeah. in that COVID time the telehealth was a thing. And yet when I dropped a few weeks, it wouldn't happen immediately, but it would start to come in again. I'd feel that that all day anxiety. And as soon as one of the girls would wake up before I wanted her to, it was 
so frustrating and <laughs> why are you, why are you not doing what I thought you're meant to be doing and now I have to get the other one up and restart again and it's school <laughs> pick up time and just it would my coping mechanisms would start to fall away again mm -hmm. and then obviously everything feels like it falls apart so definitely talking to someone you know weekly became a priority and if that meant I heard you know my mum with the girls and they're both screaming as hard as that was yeah it I had to at in some way prioritize that hour mm. and then once the girls were able to be in a routine that was more consistent they didn't sleep as well as my son ever did and you know every time they went through a sleep progression one of them would always hit it worse than the other and and you know not that long ago you know one of my girls was up for like six hours a night for a couple of weeks oh and, I was like, and you're just like what do I do I, how how is one's just sleeping and but what do you do with a baby for six hours says every mother mm. everywhere <laughs> in the world of all time and of yeah. course you get through it but I could get through that because I'm in such a better place and I've had mm -hmm. some sleep yeah. and it seems so simplistic to say oh you just need time and sleep but really <laughs> fundamentally they're two really important things that help you with young babies yeah absolutely sleep is is sleep is king <laughs> Yeah, and you just become so anxious about it and so, yeah. um, like, set on it, how everyone's sleeping, how the baby's oh, yeah. sleeping yeah. times two in this case, which it was ultimately everything, um, how you're sleeping, how my son, like, and anyone who'd make a noise that would potentially, you know, yeah. a lot of yeah. symptoms of postnatal depression and anxiety, I, you think, oh, you feel pretty pretty sad and pretty low, a bit unmotivated. You're not enjoying it as much. A lot of the symptoms, like I couldn't handle light. I couldn't handle sound. My son's <laughs> footsteps running down the, the corridor were just like, oh, it's just so loud in here. One night I was asking people to turn off the lights and the TV and everyone was so lovely and, you know, receptive. But they yeah. looked at me like, oh, gosh, yeah, it's really not that bad. But the sensory overload for mm -hmm. someone who was already the end of it like wits end on every level I think was just too much of a trigger when I um I had my first son 14 years ago and um you know you go to the prenatal classes and this guy came in from beyond blue I think oh I can't remember where he was from he might have just been from the hospital so basically he he said to us you're going to have times when you feel a bit down um it's going to be hard um you, you're going to have you're going to feel you're going to get the baby blues um so good luck with that and that was what that's what they told us about about postnatal depression and it was like <laughs> I don't know it was just like the intensity of oh my what it gosh actually can be and, yeah. and also by this point for anyone when you're having a child it's and the responsibility you feel like mm. is overwhelming at times um even though this is something you desperately wanted and it doesn't change the fact that it's a huge responsibility that everything to do with this little person or these two little people is is about you and your mm. decision 
and yeah. every decision you make you know it's i think to, to trivialize it like that compared to obviously you know what it's like it's mm -hmm. you couldn't it couldn't be you know more polar opposite to how intense it feels it's absolutely not baby blues and mm -hmm. um you know that's what i say to anyone i know who's having a baby or has had a baby you know i'm like I'm up in the night often anyway. I was like, if you need to call anyone, please just know you can always message me or call me or anything because it's it's not trivial and mm -hmm. there are some key moments in time that you might actually just need someone. And um, as someone who, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life previously, as someone who by that point usually feels a bit capable or a bit like, you know, oh, I can manage things to feel so incapable is and so mm -hmm. at a loss is yep. such an unsettling despondent feeling let alone then feeling like that and being responsible for someone else mm. yeah um i want to touch on when you said when you spoke to your um the nurse that you said was really really good when she sort of told you all these things these were massive things that were impacting and mm. and you sort of said i'll be right were you feeling like at that point and you don't have to answer this if I'm prying too much. Did you feel like, because I'm sort of trying to relate it to my experience, um, mm -hmm. did you feel like you had to pretend it wasn't happening or did you really genuinely feel like it was, wasn't happening? I don't think I was aware how bad it was, even though I felt really bad. Um, I knew it was, I, I think it's like everyone has their pride and I think I thought I could get through it or a bit like um, if I just do this and this and this, it'll it'll go away or, or it will get better. Um, yeah, I guess that was her point was just, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be okay. You have so much going on, not to mention a pandemic. Like mm, yeah. any parents of the last two years have not been able to access for their children, for themselves, for their families, the same levels of care, the lack of, you know, the lockdowns, the restrictions, the, mm. um, the people popping over, the, all of those little things that at such a critical time might be that one person you spoke to who you got to have a hug with or might be, you know, all of that wasn't there. And um, I think I'm used to coping with quite a lot. I'll be the first to say I don't cope very well with change or with anything going not to plan, even though a whole lot of things in life, in my life, you know, like really there's been a lot of change and a whole lot of things that I've actually had to cope with. I think mm. I cope externally very well, but internally I, I battle how well I'm coping. And also, I, you know, you don't want to be um, a downer for everyone. I think that's another mm. layer that, you know, we, we, women who are feeling, you know, like they are postnatally depressed, that you don't want to be a burden on other people. Um, you want to live up to what you're meant to be living up to, you know. Yeah, that and, is so true. <laughs> and you, you're just not. And, again, sometimes it has to be as plain as day is that and also that first appointment I think you know I had all these questions about the babies and you know this feeding this and 
um, you know, sleeping and their tummies, all this stuff, you know, have this list of things like all every new mum does. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want to talk about babies. She was so amazing, so experienced. Mm-hmm. She's like, I want to talk about you two. Uh, in my mind, anxious me. Oh, I just wish we could get to the things I want to talk about. <laughs> but she spent so long getting to know both of us, um, myself, Lockie, our stories, how, how we got to this point. And, you know, obviously with the travelling and the quarantine and all of mm. the, you know, driving on the highway and all of this and Jasper. And, and she's like, you know, it's a pyramid structure. And she said everyone thinks that the parents are, you know, come last and they're at the bottom. But it's actually the other way around. It's at, You're at the top and it filters down. If you guys aren't okay, no one's okay. And then when it came to me, if you're not okay, no one else is okay. And that's yeah. not a burden to you. That's just where we need to put you in this picture because you're going to be putting yourself down here and that everyone else comes first and that the baby's needs come first and as someone who does like perfection in that way whenever they'd cry I'd feel like a failure when I couldn't settle them I'd feel like a failure and like lots of mums do because that's your feedback and you equate that to how well you're doing at being a mum and when you've got two of them at once doing that or when you've just got one settled and the other you think your status quo is constantly being disrupted so therefore you must be doing Mm. a terrible job and someone else would be doing this better than you. But she she kind of was the right person for me to be saying, you know, they're going to cry sometimes and you're not going to like it. But if that means you got to eat something, that is okay. Because if you don't put any of your needs first with twins, you will never, ever look after yourself. And mm-hmm. that's going to trickle down and that's no good for anyone. So I had to relearn. I had to actually, in my very sad, anxious, not really, you know, really fuzzy, how fuzzy you feel yeah. when you, you are in that that place, like other than the tiredness, but there's a fuzz that, you know, you can't even make a sentence. Mm. Even still, I had to, with practice, with time, with support and someone checking in and going over this again, relearn about putting some of my needs first to then be able to help other people Mm. that's it's a massive a massive thing to for someone to ask you to do that and then more massive to actually put it into practice that's it's huge isn't it because that's not how we're not we're not wired to think that way we've we've just got to give and give and give and give and give so good good on you we, we kind of do feel Perhaps all mothers always do. But I I do sense in this time when I talk to my mum and, you know, women of that age, the the pressure younger parents now put on themselves to be everything for their children every second and every Mm -hmm. moment is a teachable moment. And, you know, if you did it this way, they won't have tantrums because they'll have, you know, (laughs) I'll talk about older children, you know, because you will have practice these strategies and all of this and you've sat with your child and looked them in the eye and all of that you know someone's having a meltdown in coals and you've got to get back to work in like half an hour it's really hard to be that parent and we have that vision in ourselves of like I want to be this parent and myself I wanted to be that parent and then I had newborn twins and I thought I knew some some things about having a baby turns out with twins it's a totally different story yeah and um, I just the, 
absolute like sleep deprivation doesn't you know and that's what I just you know I can't even believe I got through and any twin parent says that because it's like such a and you know triplets and quads don't even <laughs> and some single babies are really tricky too and yeah. you know it's it's separating that like having that difficult baby or that tricky baby does not relate to how well you're mothering mm-hmm. like it's not the same thing it's so hard to and again you need other people drumming that into you mm-hmm. reminding you and i you know and lucky that i have i have those people around me so i've found my way through and yeah to to you know not just to en- end that big story <laughs> sorry very long story no, on a positive note, but i do feel like and not that i wish this on any other mother ever but I do feel like the enjoyment I get from my girls and the joy I have with them now that I have been through that experience of being so down, it really is amplified because I, I see it. And I remember when I first started feeling better over time and then you have yep. your bad days again and then, you know, it's incremental. But when I was actually enjoying them, I just like cried with happiness. I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm enjoying them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, and I think the appreciation for that was so huge. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I know there's challenging times up ahead <laughs> with all children, <laughs> but I do, I do have a greater sense of that appreciation for that, you know, enjoyment um, yeah. and the presentness after feeling so not present so spacey so unable to be in the moment because mm. you don't even know where you are and sometimes you just wished you were asleep mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the time <laughs> <laughs> oh dear no thank you for sharing that so candidly um i appreciate it and i'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening that are gonna gonna take a lot from it so thank you <laughs> i hope so that that's the only you know, that's one, not the only, but I do feel like that is the one, um, one blessing of going through that experience is that you are able to help so many other people by sharing yours. And Mm. that is the only reason I have, you know, I've shared about that in my own, in my own space. And, you know, I'm very lucky that I've had that support. And I just, like I've said before, I just so hope that other women have that too. And if that means one day when they're having a really bad day and they happen to read something, you know, which has happened to me before too, you read something on a particular bad day and might just help you, you know, see that evening witching hour just somewhat a bit differently for that one day. If I can help one person one day by them reading something, then I'm, I'm really glad. Yeah. You're listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. After you start to feel well and you're enjoying these moments and things are feeling feeling improved for you, when did you get that spark that you thought, I'm going to go in depth again? <laughs> Well, I wasn't actually feeling much better when I first started thinking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so dancing again in, in, in a kind of condensed fashion, 
which I'm not good at, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> again was part of me feeling well again. And I couldn't have known that at the time. Like I said, I really didn't think I would dance again. And the most exercise I would get would be when I was in the girls' room and they might have just, like, settled and I didn't want to open the door and the light come in. So I'd lie on the floor and do, you know, my pelvic floor exercises. That's that's the extent of where I was at. And that wasn't mm-hmm. so I could get back on stage. That was just to be a functional person again. And um, I have a really incredible women's health physio, which I also very much recommend to any, any woman anywhere, mm-hmm. um, no matter what you've done in your life. But, you know, that was something that was just good for me. That was not, oh, I'm just going to start with this because that'll be helpful when I'm dancing. There was no mm-hmm. dancing thought. Um, I would go over ballets when I was like rocking them to sleep in in their room, yeah. or, like settling them. Like sometimes a random step would come out, or but I was thinking about my retirement speech more than anything. Yeah. And being COVID at the time, I thought I probably won't even have anything. And then I thought that's so sad. Like after eighteen mm. years, like that it just you know some people choose to have it that way. And I wouldn't have had a fanfare, but I always thought when I retired, I'd have my family there. Mm. But yeah, I'd think about what I'd say and. They're the thoughts that would come and go in my, you know, spacey state. That was my dance world. Um, And so it was actually people around me, mainly Lockie, um, because he's so supportive of me and my career. And it would be very easy to say, oh, this is too hard. Dana, you know, Dana, you know, he tours, obviously, he's very busy with his job Mm -hmm. and he loves his job and, you know, he, you know, that's his dream job and he is so good at it and <laughs> it's you know we love watching him and sorry that's a tangent in itself but just you know um the the we both have very demanding jobs in the arts yeah there was never a question of like oh from anyone that my mine was less significant in any way or that it would be easier if I stopped dancing mm, yeah. because then that would work better for the family or just be easier. At some point that probably will become part of the reason, you know, why we shift into a different way of how our family works. But just because I'd had two babies was not a reason mm-hmm. for that to happen then. Yeah. Um, so he's the first person who wanted to see me dance again if that was something I wanted to do. Yep. So he he was very supportive over time in his beautiful way, not in your face, just a little bit every day. <laughs> have the conversation. Go in and have the conversation. You've got a contract still. Your position is there. It's not trying to get a new job. It's your job. Mm-hmm. It's your position. Have a chat. But no, I, well, how could I tour? This is ridiculous. Don't even think about that go in and have a chat with David, David mm. Hallberg, our new director. So this was a new director for me, someone who yeah. doesn't know me and that was quite daunting in itself. So eventually by about seven months, the company was in Melbourne at the time. They'd just had a Sydney season that somehow managed to squeeze in with COVID. And I arranged an appointment and decided to go in. And, you know, I could have not gone that day. I felt terrible, you know, I was going to miss a feed for the girls and, you know, they'd never been left with anyone else really. My mum was there, Lockie. I don't know if Lockie was there that day. But, um, yeah, it just all felt too hard. Of course mm. it's too hard. You know, there's so many other things. When you're in that, early, like, baby space, 
that it's too hard. Leaving mm. the house for one of them. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, any variable for someone who is very um, much struggling with the day-to-day, a variable is too hard. Mm. Yeah. But, but go in and have a chat. <laughs> so I put, like, proper clothes on, which I hadn't done in ever, and yeah. um, drove my car, which I also hadn't done in, in ever. And, you know, all of these things. And it felt like stepping out into the world again. And that was incredibly, mm. I remember, also being in the state I was, it was a sensory overload, all of it, like the light, the sounds, just everything, coming into the car park, going in the lift, I felt sick, coming up, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm home and this is, you know, Mm. this is so lovely, I've spent all my life here. It's, I was not in that state and also things had really moved on. Um, The building felt different. Um, But I'm so glad I did, obviously. Um, and David was very gracious in probably <laughs> accepting me in that state. And, you know, I'm also a new person to him and I just kind of flat out said I've had a really, really rough time and I didn't think I'd dance again. And he's like, you know, what would you like to talk about? And I said, I just I think I might want to try. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't a hugely confident, you know, <laughs> telling yourself I, think I, might, I might want to try. Like, what would that look like? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't oh. have words. I've run out. I couldn't look him in the eye. And, you know, I just, um, I was a shell of myself. And he just said, well, how about you just start somewhere? And I said, I don't know what, what I could come back to. You know, I was thinking like roles or seasons or, um, and he's like, just don't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Just start somewhere. Just babysit. And I was like, you know, you feel like you've got to offer something. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll work, I'll come back and I'll do that or I'll try for that series. I just just don't. Yeah, don't think that far ahead. Just, just step just, by step. Because in reality, if I'd actually thought about everything I have to do to get in this building every day and to tour, I would not have gone in that day at all. Yeah. So it was absolutely right on all fronts. So then I started coming in and that was my... Um, therapy I guess and mm. I'd come in and do Pilates kind of conditioning exercises that are quite specific what we do here and you know I've done them for years and I was very lucky that everyone knows me very well here and in terms of you know the artistic health team know me very well they know how I function best and they weren't in my face mm. some you know there's some mums amongst them and they they know, they knew instinctively what I needed. Sometimes that was just, this is Donna's face. She's coming in today. And she's, you came in today. And I was like, mm-hmm. And they're like, you came in today. <laughs> like, well done. And then I'd yeah. start doing my like, little toe push-ups with the TheraBands. Yeah. And, um, you know, they could sense the days I just needed space for myself. And that's essentially what it was. Because if I was home, I was always doing something. Like mm. every mum. I, I couldn't. With Jasper coming back from Jasper, it was different. I could do a lot at home when he was asleep. The girls were still up and down all the time. There was always something to do, food to cook, a snack to get Jasper to play yeah. with. Like it, yeah. I had to go somewhere to have my that my time. And so that started like that incrementally. Then I joined our like daily training class. And that was, again, usually we work with um, Megan Connolly, who's our rehab coach. You normally go in with her and, you know, do a couple of weeks just one-on-one 
and she's like so you're gonna go into class today and I said oh but like are we gonna do and she's like oh no 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 just just go in there I was like no that's just like this is a studio with people other people and like a teacher and a pianist and I was like I just I can't I can't like so many people in there I, I it really you know was a full body experience trying to get myself back into the world and I did that by coming back into ballet into something I knew yeah. and that even like all at that point and even to very up till when I did my first shows I had to think if I don't get to do shows if I don't get if I stop before I get to the like the goal or the cherry on top yeah. I've this has been a successful worthy process because this is what needed to happen for me mm, yeah um, so it's more about so the, I, the process rather than the end goal it was about all those steps and how that yeah, was like you, was your therapy being, it was actually it was and yeah. my maternal child health nurse had commented on that so much earlier so how are we going to get you back to work and I was like that's I just can't even too hard and she's like mm. we're gonna to have to think about if you want but we'll have to think about that yeah. and I was not in that headspace whereas someone like her externally so much experience I think could see pinpoint this this woman is going to need even for a short window of time to find a part of herself that has been so not thought about mm. um and so I started in class for a little bit some days I'd have to leave because I I was overwhelmed by um it wasn't even the ballet, the actual dancing. Everyone's like, oh, it looks like you've never left. And I'm there mm. standing there like a shell of myself and can't even express how different I felt. Yeah. Physically, I was going through the motions though. And that's what I think is is tricky externally. After mm. 18 months off dancing <laughs> and twins, I and I don't mean to say this in a sense that's precocious, but... I was actually just going through the motions, giving the actual dancing side of things such little thought because it was actually mm. so much more a mental battle for me to stay in the room. People are there. They're going to look at you sometimes, meet their eyes. Okay, you did it. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, it, was, it just comes up from there. Yeah. It's like your body just almost had its own experience there. It, it knew The muscles knew mm. what to do. It just did its yeah. own thing and you could let it do that. And the meanwhile, the you know, inside your head, all this is happening. And yeah, and it's hard. People don't see that. Like literally, like you said, they said, oh, it's like you never left. So they're only seeing this outside and they're not, mm. you know, seeing the whole picture. So yeah, it's... it's The, mm. the, the realisations that come to me when I'm dancing, that's always been the case, but especially in that time and even still, the distance I have from being at home when I'm at the ballet and when I'm dancing things come to me and I solve problems in my head and yeah you know I have these epiphany moments all the time about my kids and about mothering when I'm at the bar not, <laughs> not even joking it's actually it comes to me then yeah. and I think ah, oh. so it is there's something about that and maybe just because I've grown up doing it and mm -hmm. there's live music the first day when someone started, we have, you know, a live pianist. So they start, you know, playing plies and they improvise every day, all these exercises. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just like, my mouth was just open. I was just like, oh my gosh, that's right. Someone just plays music for you all day. <laughs> like, 
amazing. Just plays music. Live music over there all day for you. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, um, that was yeah. a really profound one. But um, a lot of, yeah, I think I could unravel a lot of what had happened over the last 18 months by being in that space. Yeah. That I wouldn't have been able to do at home for sure. Or yep. even, you know, if I'd gone for a run or something, it might have might have worked. But there was something yep. about, like you said, my body being a little bit on autopilot that my mental chat could start to unravel a little bit and mm. I could find a bit of space. It's it's almost like like a meditation in some ways that like, mm. I mean, I know traditional meditation, you lay down and then your body's at rest so your mind can work. But sort of mm. in that way, like your body's just doing its thing you don't have to think about mm. it. And then, yeah, all this stuff, you're, you're open to to process, like you say, problem solve. And I, I feel very lucky. I had such like a vehicle actually that was way too daunting at the start, but actually became, you know, the art form that I've loved forever actually mm. was the the way into, you know, the new version of me that was all put together. Yeah. From everything had kind of come before mm. yeah that's that's incredible it's like it, it truly is a part of your identity and it just needed mm. it was like that yeah like I keep coming back to this word therapy it was and and that nurse was was experienced enough to see that 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 was going to be part yeah. of your healing was to get that part of your life back again yeah, yeah. and that's for awesome. how long you know that, who knows and mm-hmm. it's not even about that and I was lucky enough to be able to, after um, Melbourne got out of its last lockdown at the yeah. end of last year, we had, a, we had a gala celebration season in December. It was a 10-day run of shows at the Art Centre. And um, I was lucky enough to be ready at that point. I, I'd only just come back full-time and so that was a personal choice too. Um, I extended my maternity leave beyond the 12 months because I wasn't ready yet to leave the girls. I wasn't ready to have my schedule dictated to. Um, I still needed to have, because everything just took longer. And with twins, it just does, I think, for everyone to find their feet, for the, the twins to settle into life, like everything. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I wasn't ready to be, after that long fighting to be there and enjoying them, to then just evacuate and be at work, you know, for 10, 12 hour days. So yeah. I took a really slow, slow ride in and that meant I was working, tra- training, obviously you can't just turn up on day one. So from, you know, from when they was eight months, oh, maybe, no, it wasn't actually, it was like 10 months old. That's yeah. when I started some physical stuff. And then I did all of that on my own time, on my own schedule. And then mm-hmm. the week before shows opened, I I'd planned, I think everyone knew, but I was like, that's when I officially start. You've got a week and then a week of shows and I'm going on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, so again, like you can't compartmentalising things, like right from the start, how Lockie was saying, just go in and have a chat. And then you had yes. you had David just saying, well, just try this. Or, you know, it was it's breaking that down because the overwhelm, if you think about everything, is just too much. It's just... It's not, it's not good. <laughs> yeah.
The topic of mum guilt in, and I guess it, everyone has different views of what that is. Some people think it's a load of rubbish, um, which is great. Other people like really relate to it, which is fine. Everyone's different. Have you ever had any experience with that or your thoughts about that? Oh, definitely have experience with mum guilt. Um, that's something I feel all mums do face. And I, well, I'm certainly, I certainly do. And a lot of the the ballet mums here that's a big one for us um mm. obviously feeling guilty all the time serves no one so I'm aware of that too that it's it's a it's a sense it's a feeling that isn't really helping anyone mm -hmm. but um what we do here at the ballet feels very self-centered and self-absorbed um it's such a giving art form but our experience of how hard it is and the work we need to put in and the conditioning and the the focus and the oh, I've got to get to the theater at this time because I've got to get my hair I've got to do my makeup I've got to think about my steps and mm -hmm. all of that changes after you become a mum you minimize everything and into the small amount of time as you can but there's still the sense that I'm doing something for myself here like I'm I'm focusing on myself and I want that role and I want to do that on stage and I want I want to feel that and you can't help but think oh, I've got these little people who are like hey mom I want you to mm. but yeah you know so I I very much relate to that whilst also understanding it's not really helpful um mm. but the what's something that I come back to and what has often come from people reminding me and then I try to you know repeat it for myself is that your children seeing you as a whole person is really important and your children, especially with what we do, seeing, seeing you so dedicated and so passionate and loving something so much yeah. and what it's brought to you is really, really important too, especially as a mother. And I think the uniqueness of what we do and touring half the year, the, you know, the changeability, the pulling kids out of school or daycare and taking them to Sydney for two months, can feel like a bit of a liability and a bit of a I'm you know kind of mixing their life up so much and you know with my son I felt really guilty he hasn't been able to do regular swimming lessons and he hasn't been able to do soccer and you know I can't always be the one at the school gate and mm -hmm. even though when I was at home with the little girls with my twins and he started school when I stood at the school gate I felt so out of place mm -hmm. I felt I just felt so out of place. I just, I just, I just, yeah, it was actually a really uncomfortable feeling. And he yeah. didn't actually really care if I was, if it was me there or not. Some days he does and he asks, mm -hmm. but he's also had such a colourful, interesting childhood already. I tried to flip that round mm. to say actually he's had exposure to things that, other kids haven't had yes they've had play dates regular play dates they go to soccer every Saturday and the routine of that and the you know maybe the social constancy of that you know he hasn't had but he's also had exposure to so many other things so mm. in context of my work and knowing it's not forever knowing at some point and probably you know by the time the girls are at school I will be at the school gate every day um, makes this time even more precious mm. and um, you know I do hope that you know they can see that their mum you know in did look after themselves so that I could look after them I do hope at some point in their lives they can they can see how valuable that was and yeah. um, 
know my son to you now at the ballet and he just had the best time ever so um, you know he's kicking the football with with the dancers and that's something that other kids don't get to do mm, so that's it yep absolutely yeah it's, it's a battle though I think it's um it relies again on you know routinely reminding yourself of the value that your your art and your work is giving to you and then how that's trickling down into your family I definitely mm. have more energy and more more empathy, more support, more more valuable time if I've just had a bit of time for myself. And mm-hmm. at the moment, that time is being spent doing something I love, which is dancing. And at some point in the future, I'll have to find something else that that time is for so that that can mm-hmm. still trickle down. Yeah, absolutely. That you have you have that thing that fills up your cup and then you can yeah. you can give to others yeah absolutely um yeah it's good you you said about that because yeah one of the things I like to to mention is that it's it is important for children to see what their mums and dads are doing um and I mean I didn't I didn't actually mean to ask this I was about to say something different but I was you mentioned about before the girls like see their dad on the telly like that's just like do they do they make the connection do they they're like there's dad yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. um I mean probably assisted by the fact I'm like hey look there's daddy (laughs) but um the girls this is something I think you know all kids love music and dancing and our all of our kids do but especially the girls are so absorbed in music and dance and I mean maybe some of that is genetic (laughs) I found with twins one of the only ways especially when they're earlier, you know, when they're lying on their little play mats. Um, that was one thing to keep them both entertained at once, which wasn't holding both of them at once, mm-hmm. was to lie them on the floor and I'd put Wiggles, you know, playlist on and I'd yep. dance around like a little crazy person, you know, crazy person and try and sing, not as well as their dad. And um, they would kick their little legs and, you know, smile and giggle and that, you know, they obviously had exposure really really early on to that and still those particular wiggle songs that I've obviously drummed into them are their favorites <laughs> but I you know I love that they I love so much you know we at 410 every day we put you know ABC kids on and you know yeah. that's when Wiggles is on that's our little 10 minutes of you know TV time <laughs> and they start dancing around and you know Emma twirls around and they're they're twirling around and they're trying to they're actually trying to do a sign language. It's amazing yeah. what young babies are picking up because mm-hmm. there's music involved. Like yeah. it's how they are learning because there's music and dance involved. It's so innate. Mm. Um, yeah. So Absolutely. I think it's really lovely. Obviously daddy's up there too. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty special and unique. Yeah. But oh, I it's awesome. exposure to that. Um we're taking them to the Wiggles concert next week. And by we, I mean me. Um, <laughs> and um, I can't wait because even when they were five months old, I think, you know, I was on the sides with the girls and my yeah. mum and Lulu especially was transfixed and, you know, five months old for 45 minutes. Oh, she was yeah. totally transfixed. And yeah. I think the power of music and dance is so, so beautiful and I'm so glad they're growing up. Oh, so, so all amongst it. Yeah, it is beautiful, isn't it? It's like, like you were saying before, it might not be the, you know, going to soccer every week or the, 
you know, whatever it might be, but it's, you're giving your children such an incredible life, just this exposure to things that other children might not get. And it's just, yeah. it's so awesome. <laughs> it, no, it, it, it is. And it's challenging. Yeah. Like, obviously. And logistically it's a jigsaw puzzle and mm. turn it upside down and back to front and try to put it back together again. Every day is like that. We have so many moving parts of, how our lives function um with two two of us trying to tour now um Mm, as well it's just pretty um pretty full-on and we're jasper at school and trying to keep that consistent and but it but it is it's 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 good i think i always try to remember too this is such a a short amount of time Mm, and ultimately the best time for it to be like this um yeah that's it isn't it Jasper's starting Auskip this year and he'll 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 do that, you know, he'll do that in years to come. He'll have enough soccer on Saturdays and yeah. he will get to do swimming lessons. But this is a unique time where I'm able to still do this. I can't do this again in 10 mm. years' time. I yeah. can't be at the level I'm at and want to be in 10 years' time. Some might say you can, but I, I'm, you know, I'm more than – every day I'm aware of that. You know, I do – I. I have the best job in the world and I get to go on stage and be different people and mm. have world-class orchestras play music for me and, yeah. you know, do something I felt mostly quite natural doing my whole life. You know, it's, yeah. it is hard to say no to that. And <laughs> yes, hopefully my children can benefit from that too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got to mention that there was a beautiful article. Um, was it Sydney Morning Herald? Um, but they took all these amazing photos of your, all yeah. the family dressed up. And there's this one photo, I think it's Lulu. <laughs> like yeah. you've got this beautiful dress on and you're holding it and she's like, whatever. Like her facial expressions <laughs> is like, oh, come on, Ma. <laughs> I just, every time I look at that, I just think she's in this world. She gets it. She knows what's going on. And she's like, yeah, I'm in front of the camera again, yeah. you know. <laughs> I just love it. With that particular photo, I know you're talking about. There was one of her actually smiling. Yeah. They didn't end up choosing it. And so when I saw that particular shot, and she's looking a bit, yeah, like whatever, ho hum. (laughs) I thought, oh, that's a bit of a shame. But um, you know, for whatever reason, maybe my leg looked better, or you know, the dress looked, you know, had a bit more flow or something. But I, yeah, I did, I did think that. Oh. Interestingly enough, she is the one who loves a dress and you put yeah. it on and she just naturally turned around. I just find those things so interesting. She yeah. just they don't know what mummy does, really. They don't they haven't been able to come in. Most of my friends here at work haven't even met the girls because of COVID mm-hmm. and yeah. um, we're still very careful here, obviously. So those sorts of things aren't allowed. But um yeah. yeah, they actually only know dancing through what they know themselves and through wiggles. <laughs> Um, so yeah they don't but it's I love watching them just like you know dance along yeah yeah Yeah, um oh no I just love I had to mention that that's a really funny she's actually Yeah. yeah she's a really um theatrical one
we're currently in our Melbourne season of Anna Karenina, which was meant to be in the 2020 season. Um, <laughs> and it has been postponed several years. So it's so lovely to have been able to get the, um, this ballet on here. It actually made it to Adelaide last year in a little sneaky little week in ah. there. So Adelaide <laughs> has been Anna Karenina. It's a big, bold, intense drama, so beautiful, um, amazing costumes, scenery, a real modern day story of such a classic novel, obviously. Mm. Um, so we're performing that here now and we move back to Sydney um, in April yep. for three weeks and we open also in Sydney in May a, a massive production called Kunstkarma, which is a whole huge evening of work. Um, it's an amazing show from Netherlands Dance Theatre, NDT, which is the premier absolute um, contemporary dance creative maverick company <laughs> from the last 60-something years. So this Kunstkammer yeah. um, is a collection of incredible four different choreographers who came together to create this um, incredible work. And there's so much in it. Um, yeah. So it's a big undertaking for the company, but an absolute gift for us. No one else in the world has performed this ballet. So to Ooh. have this yeah. in Australia is like having, you know, the rarest gem. So we're currently working on that at the moment, which is mm -hmm. really exciting. You know, the, some of the choreographers, I never thought I would ever be in the same room as them. Yeah. Last year when we started workshopping and, or just learning the early bits. And I thought, this is already enough. Like day one, <laughs> I've been in the room with Paul Lightfoot. I never thought that would happen. This is unbelievable. <laughs> um, so that's so exciting. We're doing that in Sydney in May. Yeah. We bring that to Melbourne in June. So Melbourne gets to see that too. Um, and then we open a ballet called Harla Canard here, um, which is a great commedia dell'arte ballet, um, slapstick kind of comedy, but really clever, lots yeah. of dancing, um, really funny, a real family sort of um, fun piece, mm -hmm. um, which I'm really excited about. It's the sort of dancing and um, that I get really excited by. It's virtuoso yeah. kind of jumping and turning and lots of fast movement, but also mm -hmm. lots of um, comedic timing and storytelling, which, you know, I think is challenging, but so, so rewarding. And then we yeah. have to finish off the first half of the year, we have our Adelaide season actually of counterpoint, which is yeah. a double bill, um, a double bill of Raymonda and which is a classical tutu act. And then, um, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Artifact suite. So <laughs> William Forsyth's artifact suite, which is, um, kind of like, again, a, a ballet that, you know, the Australian Ballet to have in the repertoire is a real coup. Yeah. And right. pushes the dancers to, like, next level. So a whole lot of work. A yeah. Whole lot. So, so yeah. you are performing something but then learning something else at the same time. Like Always. you're doing different. Oh, man, that must. Does that screw with your head a bit, though, that you're like, who, which character am I today? Like. <laughs> Um, that if you're doing the same dance but several roles in the same dance, that is quite tricky for the brain. Yeah. But I find the role is in the music, so whatever music's on, mm -hmm. um, you just get into that space. Two, yeah, we only did we did two versions of Swan Lake back to back, and that was a bit like, oh, which one are we in? 
because um, <laughs> one was modern and one was traditional. It's like, oh, which one yeah. is this? Oh, it's kind of similar, but not quite. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's in the music, but it again, that's a skill that you kind of have to pick up along the way, and yeah. um, that's the challenge as well. But yeah, it's that's the sort of thing that I think people don't realize we're doing. Yeah, all the I, I never realized that till till you just said that then, because I think yeah. um, musically, we're certainly my experience you've you've got a show coming up so you work on all the stuff for that show then that show finishes then you start for your next thing but your world is just constantly constantly going revolving door and the different dance styles really challenge your body in different ways and it's often when you start a new dance style like as in a new piece of repertoire it often you get quite sore or a bit you know Mm, using different muscles (laughs) do what you have been doing and it feels a bit not quite the same as last night and you're like oh I've caught my quad how do I do that today oh. um, so yeah um, it is a constant yeah. challenge in that respect but also it's the richness of the work we get to perform in the company here is that it's so diverse and mm. um, we actually are all very versatile dancers and very capable of that so yeah um, yeah there's wow. lots, always lots to look forward to and that's why you know if you're not in the season this season heavily mm. there's something coming up always to think about so we're very lucky it's like a feast for us here everyone's very jealous overseas how many shows we do (laughs) talking about the kids like they're dancing I work in childcare. that's my day job and um, I've certainly heard a lot of wiggles over the years <laughs> and, but talk, like it they that's what they want to hear the kids like oh we have this computer that we set up the music and the, and we have different music for sleep time and anytime anyone walks over there wiggles wiggles or weewools or they'll just they'll just start doing actions and they just love it and same like you said about the sign language um like it's just becoming more mainstream a part of culture um because of that that um you know the emma and it's like yes. it's just wonderful it's there's so there's so much like education value in what they're doing it's not like yeah. you know they're not just a bunch of people just dancing around having a party it's like they're actually educating and it's oh, like my my eldest son he grew up with um the originals and then it was lovely to to meet everyone in a different way and some new faces when i had digby he's he's sick so mm-hmm. yeah the the eras and it's just a wonderful thing yeah. that it's still going and they've got the new faces now and it's just it's a yeah. wonderful part of our our culture I think yeah yeah it's um it's a it's a pretty special experience to be able to you know share that with children um and I do think like I said before they children just learn so innately through through music and dance without even knowing they are. And yeah. I think that probably goes across the ages and that goes into, you know, um, children who are well above, you know, three, four, five years old who love all of those sorts of songs and things. I think there's so much scope for for learning with music and dance and how that can help all kids and all sorts of education kind of settings. Mm, um, and I get that's something with the ballet, you know, we have story time ballet, which is you know, the ballet for kids and Jasper's seen those shows and um, yeah. a lot of kids come to those shows. And, you know, that is also what sparks 
a lot of children's imaginations and a lot of what becomes the future generation of ballet dancers here mm. and overseas because they yeah. started at that first story time ballet performance you know that their mum or their grandma or someone took them to when they were three four five six yeah. and it sparked something of that experience that took them somewhere and mm. then that takes them on their life to you know what they might like to become and I'm sure that's how it happened with me like I just mm. you know how can you yeah. not get taken with that whole experience and I think you know with ballet and music you that's pretty special to have that spark at such a young age and to play a part in that you know, oh, little person's life. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. That's a, that's a beautiful note to end on, I think. Thank you so much, Dana. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you for giving me so much time and, um, and chatting so candidly. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, I have too. Thank you for giving me the space to, you know, I just, um, like I said, I hope I can always help the only reason I'd ever share anything about what I'm doing in my life or at home is that I can help someone else. And um, it's it's really lovely that ballet dancers now have the choice to become mums mm. and that, you know, we're working through this space of working out how they kind of feed and inspire each other. So thank you for giving me the space. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.